supposed to? Oh, let me get this situated. Maybe. Well, this is not a good start. There we go. Sorry about that. So this morning, as I put this on and I walked to the back, uh, just to tell you how my morning started, my oldest daughter came up to me and she said, you look like a K-pop singer with that little earpiece on, uh, which is Korean pop. Uh, so it's like not a great compliment for me. But uh, nonetheless, I'm happy to be here with y'all this morning. My name is Robert. Uh, I'm a worship pastor here at Redeemer Fellowship Church, uh, but every so often, like two to four times a year, I get to preach the word to y'all. Uh, and so I'm excited to do that this morning. I'm excited to see new faces this morning. Um, just in case y'all don't know, the restrooms are around this corner. If y'all if y'all need those at any point in time, uh, that's where they are at. But uh, today, we are going to be looking at uh, part of the 17th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, but before uh, we, we dive in, before we start reading, and before we do the teaching, I want to pray, and I would like for y'all to pray with me, please. Uh, so if you would, bow your heads. Uh, Father, for, we thank you for the time that we get to come together, uh, that we get, to, we get to worship you. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for his sacrifice to make our worship acceptable to you. Father, I pray today that you would use me just as an instrument to uh, maximize your glory. Uh, that you would uh, move through the people in the congregation to worship you. Um, that you would reveal to us your word, your truth, by the power of your spirit. Our confidence is in you. Father, but I pray that you would uh, send your spirit to give us faith. And it's in your son's name I ask this. Amen. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it, or if you have a smart device, flip that to Luke chapter 17. Uh, I'm going to be reading from the ESV version. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 11 through 19. No, I'm going to need this. So, in this, uh, we're going to see the miraculous healing of the ten lepers, uh, but in it we're, we're going to be seeing the restoration of them and then also the great power and might of Christ. So starting in verse 11, I'm just going to read through before we start diving in. It says, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and he lifted upon their and lifted upon their voices saying Jesus master have mercy on us when he saw them he said to them go and show yourselves to the priest and as they went they were cleansed then one of them when he saw that he was healed turned back praising God with a loud voice and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise 
and go your way. Your faith has made you well. So something that we can see is that leprosy is a, is a big part of this story, obviously. There's 10 individuals who are stricken with this disease. So it's only right that I explain a little bit of this disease. I'm not going to like unpack this like crazy amount. I'm going to spend a little bit of time on it. Leprosy was a disease that was caused by a bacteria. Uh, it would attack the nerves in the skin of an individual. Uh, leprosy would start as a white or pink patch in the face or the head region uh, of the body, but then would spread to the rest of a person. Uh, while the disease attacked the nerves, feeling would be lost in a person's limbs and their fingers and their arms and their feet. Uh, they would even lose parts of their bodies. The things I just mentioned, they would be absorbed into the body itself. So like, you have this picture of this deformed individual with this disease of leprosy. And at times, even, the leper would cause itself, himself, herself, uh, bodily harm. Because, like I said, it attacked the nerves. And so they couldn't tell if they were burning themselves. They couldn't tell if they broke something. That There was no feeling there. And ultimately, if not miraculously cured, leprosy meant certain death. Uh, not only death either, but the life that would be lived would be a life lived in exile, away from the people. It would be away from family, be away from friends. It, the, Old, the Old Testament gives a specific command to place those with leprosy outside of the camp because you don't want to spread infection in the camp. And so they had their own little spot, their own little camp. So they were placed outside of the camp, away from family, away from friends. Uh, and in the Old Testament, as we know, away from where God specifically commanded that he would be worshipped. The side of this, if you can't tell, a person with leprosy is pretty disgusting. And it paints a picture, um, not a perfect one, as I will describe here in a second, but it paints a picture and serves as a walking illustration of sin and those separated from Christ, those who do not have faith in Christ. If you are outside of Christ, if your faith and if your trust is not put in Christ, you are a spiritual leper. Like I, like I said a bit ago, I will say that this analogy does miss the mark in, in, in a way because those that are outside of Christ, if your faith is not in Christ, are actually spiritually dead. Leprosy gives this uh, idea of just sickness, but the actual spiritual condition of those outside of Christ is deadness, not sickness. If your faith is not in Christ, you are a walking dead man, woman, or child with absolutely no ability to heal yourself, no ability to save yourself, and no ability to worship. God is a holy God and does not associate himself with uncleanliness. Unless those who are uncleaved are bathed by the blood of Christ and clothed in his righteousness. Which comes by believing, trusting, and having faith in the gospel. Because of this, uh, our cry either was or should be the same as uh, 
the lepers, the ten lepers, which is, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Because your only hope and our only hope and the world's only hope is a divine healer and redeemer. Your only hope is in a God that is merciful. The sad reality uh, is that many who have this spiritual deadness are absolutely clueless of their condition. Because last time I checked, uh, dead people are not super observant. Um, so imagine with me going up to one of these lepers, which is kind of the situation with us whenever we go to share the gospel with individuals who are outside of Christ. Imagine going uh, to one of these individuals with leprosy and stating the obvious, which is that you have leprosy. And their response being, no, I don't. I'm okay. And as, as, as you're stating the obvious and they're answering you, perhaps part of their nose is falling off, maybe they're missing some fingers, uh, the very voice that they're answering you with is raspy and broken. They're completely oblivious to their condition. And that is the case for every one of us who are spiritually dead outside of Christ without divine revelation, without the Spirit revealing. And that was every one of us in this room who are now healed and in Christ and restored to Him. So at one point in time, this was you. Which brings us to the first part of the scene that I want to focus on, which is verses 12 through 13. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. These lepers knew about Jesus. It wasn't like a shock that he was coming into town. Um, they knew about Jesus, and they had surely heard about his healings uh, throughout his ministries in the surrounding areas. He was a pretty popular individual uh, because of his healings. Um, and, I mean, mainly that. I mean, he was known for healing and feeding and doing these miraculous works, and also the Pharisees hated him. And so even more publicity in his things. Um. So most likely they were told about Jesus heading their way and they had been waiting with anticipation. Waiting to lay eyes on him to be able to cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They knew of his healing power and they knew that he was able to restore. And at this point in Luke, there's no denying the power of Jesus. As we've worked through Luke, we have uh, seen that Jesus has healed those with leprosy. Uh, that he's restored sight to the blind, that he's fed the hungry. The list goes on and on of what we see recorded. Um, these men knew their condition and knew that Jesus was their only hope. And I, I wouldn't necessarily call it a point, but if I had to make a point, it would be Jesus is the only hope for a dead world. Once again, we're, we're not dealing with a world and we're not dealing with people who are merely sick. We're not dealing with people who have a spiritually terminal cancer. We're dealing with people who've never been alive when bringing the gospel to them. Ephesians 2 says that the non-Christian is dead in their trespasses and sins. Like I've already said, all of you in this room who are Christians now were once spiritually dead. 
Uh, the question might be, uh, when did this happen? And the answer is the day you began to exist. Uh, the moment you took on flesh was the moment you were pronounced dead to the things of God and dead in sin. And then the, the next logical question, at least for me, whenever I had these questions, whenever I first became a believer and I was learning the things uh, in the scriptures, was uh, how did this happen? And it's because Adam at the fall, back in Genesis, represented you and me and every, every other person out there. Uh, and whenever he sinned, it counted us as guilty. And so I'm being a bit repetitive, but uh, I want you to understand the deadness of man and the state of man outside of Christ so that you can see the greatness of Christ and his cross and his, and his power. He restores, he renews, he redeems, he reconciles, he resurrects even. We see that with Lazarus in the scriptures. Lazarus is probably one of the, the better pictures of this spiritual deadness, but I think, I think we, get the, we get the point here. So Jesus looks to these men uh, who know that their only hope is for Jesus to heal them, and Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. Fairly, very simple, non-dramatic statement. He didn't say, be healed, uh, even though that's exactly what he did. Uh, he didn't say, by all the power in me, I pronounce you cleansed, as we see in maybe some movies or in some faith healers or anything like that. Uh, there was no big thunder clashing and angelic voices in the background. And I think it paints the picture that like this was pretty easy for him because he's God. He, he just does. These men were destined to die as exiled lepers and all that changed by six words. Go show yourself to the priest. I don't know about you, but I don't know a single doctor who speaks and healing happens. Matter of fact, many times it's a trial process. I mean, like we see this with like the COVID thing. I mean, it's, it's a trial process, you know, with the vaccine, with everything. With, you know, if you, have, if you have a sickness, you go to the doctor, you tell the doctor, the doctor says, well, let's try this. Alter this in your life. Come back. Uh, we'll update. Uh, we'll change things if it's gotten worse, or we'll change things to make it even better. Uh, either, either way, though, uh, we don't know any physician that does that. That's why he's called the great physician. Uh, but it makes sense, because like I said, Jesus is fully God. If God created life in his word, by his word, why could he not restore life uh, by the power of his word? Our cry should be the same as these lepers. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. We must recognize the authority that Jesus has over all of his creation. The recognition of Christ's authority is the correct response because it places us at the feet of Christ. Underneath his lordship, underneath his sovereign authority and his rule. And when a person does this, they have to understand that nothing is owed to them. Have mercy on us is their cry. Mercy and grace are both undeserved favor with God. Mercy is not getting the very thing that you deserve as a sinful, dead human being outside of Christ. 
When we were born, we were born dead in sin, haters of God. We deserve wrath. We deserve condemnation. We deserve a life of misery and separation. And for eternity, we deserve hell. That's the reality. That's the hard reality. That's the hard truth that is spoken to individuals. And they will deny it, as we will come to see, too. But we, we, can't, we can't just stop there, because what do we see about Jesus constantly in the scriptures? We see him have pity, and we see him show compassion. In Matthew 9, we read about Jesus having compassion on the crowds because of their helplessness, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Oftentimes, we are, when we are in sin, when we are self-absorbed, uh, we remember, like what we just talked about, we, we remember how bad we are. We remember the wrath that we deserve. We, we remember uh, all of this up, but we kind of mess it up because we miss the part and we don't remind ourselves of the part that Jesus is compassionate. And you can't, you can't separate those two. With humans, you can, because we are pretty terrible at a lot of things. Uh, but Jesus can be both of those things. So we have this disconnect where we struggle to actually put these two together not separate them, and when we do, we miss the goodness of God's love demonstrated in the cross of Christ. So if you've heard anything so far, uh, we have no hope outside of Christ. None whatsoever. No hope. But he is compassionate and merciful and readily gives grace to those who trust in him, to those who call out to him. Come to him with a recognition of their sinfulness and see that Christ is able and willing to lift the burden. He is willing and able to make the necessary payment and has for those who are in Christ, who have faith and have trusted. Verse 14. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. In most instances of Jesus' healing, he says something like, your faith has made you well. Uh, be healed or be cleansed. Uh, and we do see that later in the narrative, but it's only to one out of the ten. It's not pronounced to all of them. Here we don't see the language. Instead, he gives the command, go show yourself to the priest, which wasn't uncommon either because uh, he knew what the law said about how those with leprosy should handle themselves after healing had happened. Uh, they were commanded to be inspected and to give sacrifices to God. But still, in many of the narratives of healings, um, Jesus tells those afflicted, be healed, but not here. So, to me, the natural question is, does Jesus heal or does he not? Uh, does he save or does he not and if he does how do we know it to be true and the answer is because of his word the authority of scripture the authority of christ speaking be cleansed or go show yourself to the priest it was assumed jesus tells them go show yourself to the priest and so imagine with me how stupid they would look if they even made it all the way to the priest, if they showed up and still had leprosy. 
So what was actually common back in, back in this time is that you would pick up rocks if leopards got too close, and you'd throw it at them uh, to keep them away, to keep them at bay. So imagine them going to the priest, still having leprosy, still afflicted with this disease. The priest would ask them, what are you doing here? Which is natural. Uh, their response would be, Jesus told us to come here, but uh, we're starting to wonder the exact same thing. So there could have been some bickering between one another or, or, or whatever, uh, but we don't really see anything in here that gives us that insight. So I'm kind of just uh, helping you maybe imagine how this looked to them. Uh, but we don't know how they reacted, but we can assume that they were obedient to what Jesus told them to do because it says as they went away, they were cleansed. But the passage, to me, becomes very interesting in that we only see one of these men return to Jesus. Only one. So a 10%. The rest of them took Jesus at his word, saw that he had delivered, but didn't seek restoration of their souls. They did not recognize Christ as God. They saw the temporal blessing, but missed the big picture. And we know these people, we've seen these people, we hear stories of these people. And I'm, I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story that's pretty close and personal to me. Uh, for those who don't know, my dad had uh, scans fairly recently to check for cancer uh, that ended up being a large amount of tumors. that had to be uh, surgically removed, and he had to have treatments of chemotherapy, radiation. And he still has to continue to go to the doctor. He still has to have treatments and everything like that. And so he goes through his radiation. He goes through all of these things. He has routine scans, checkups to confirm that the tumors have not returned or that he has not gotten any worse. So this is the part that's actually really sad to me, is that he'll send out group text messages to me, my mom, and my sister. He'll ask for prayer, he'll ask for healing. And I'm thankful that he does this. I am. I'm very thankful that he does this. But he will send out these texts after surgeries, and after treatments and scans with good updates that tumors have not returned, that surgery went well, that radiation, that chemotherapy, all of this has went well. And he will say, I'm thankful for your prayer. I'm thankful for healing. And he gives credit to God. He, he's, he's thankful. For those who don't know, my dad has lived and continues to live in an active homosexual lifestyle. He actively lives in sin. He actively lives in rebellion to God.
He asks for healing of the body and he receives it. He attributes the healing to God, but that's all he does. God allowed for his body to be stricken with tumors so that he would see his need for something else, for something bigger than just healing. He's missing the true healing that Jesus offers. He's missing his need for his soul to be restored. He's missing his need for a savior, one who restores both body and soul. You know these people who are thankful for Jesus and what he can do, but they want nothing to do with Jesus. Verse 15 through 16 is as we will look at the proper response. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. Praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. God called me to himself while I was inspecting a minivan at Toyota Motor Manufacturing in Princeton, Indiana. For about six months after hearing the gospel for the first time and actually understanding it a little bit, um, I worked on the lines of Toyota. I drove to work. I drove home. I lived at home in absolute torment because of my sin. I'd grown to see that God's word was true but I couldn't figure out what I was supposed to do with sin. So I tried to shake it. I tried to justify my actions for my sins, but I couldn't. Just like no one can. I mean, you're not going to, I mean, you can if you're outside of Christ. It's pretty easy to do. I did it for years. But if you are actually being convicted, if the, uh, if the spirit is moving in you, you're not going to shake it. You're not going to be able to justify it. It's not going to happen. Tried to shake it, tried to justify my actions for my sins, but I couldn't. The torment got worse and worse until I no longer could make excuses or appeals. But God. I love the but gods in the New Testament, and I love the but gods in my story and in your story if you were in Christ. But God gave me faith that his word was true and that I could trust it and have hope in it say all of this because when that happened and my shift ended, I got offline, I went to the restroom, and I bawled my eyes out. It was much louder than what I just did up here. Uh, so I imagine like guys coming to the restroom as they're trying to leave work, hearing this and being like, I'm good today. I'm going home. <laughs> I don't need that. But that's what I did. I bawled my eyes out. I had peace. I had hope. And I didn't know what to call it at the time, but I worshiped God rightly. For the first time. I gave him thanks because I knew my sin had been covered. I knew that Jesus had died for me. And I knew that because of Jesus' death, I was now a son. 
If you have been saved and redeemed by Jesus, give him thanks. Glorify him. Because verse 15 says, the man praised God with a loud voice. My favorite catechism question is the Westminster Catechism question, number one, uh, which is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Amen. When the reality of the greatness of the cross of Christ is made a reality to you, all praise is due to him. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. The difference in these men is prayer and praise. We hear that people pray to God often, most specifically in times of needs, as we've already discussed. And I'm not even saying you shouldn't. That's not what I'm saying. But many will ask for cleansing, but few will offer praise. Many people want Jesus' stuff and Jesus' power. Few actually want Jesus. If your life is not full of praise and thanksgiving because of the blessing God gives you, you're not being obedient to what God commands because he demands praise. It's a commandment. Something I read while preparing for this sermon. This is kind of just a little insert here. Um, prayer will last for life only. Praise will continue through eternity. We see this man come to Jesus. We see this man give Jesus praise and fall on his feet to the appropriate position, which is at Jesus' feet. say appropriate because just like what didn't preached on last week uh it's the proper humility before god humility should mark should be the mark of every christian because of god's mercy we owe jesus everything and he owes us nothing we have no claim of any good works in and of ourselves that have saved us or even increased the odds of us being saved i hate even using that word odds but it it doesn't increase favor But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Um, I think every time I've preached, I've actually told y'all to do this. So I'm going to tell you a different one. You should go home and read and memorize Ephesians chapter 2, the whole thing. The whole book, if you want. I mean, it's a fantastic book. Go read it. Be blessed. Be encouraged. Meditate on it. Our proper place is at the feet of King Jesus, which if you go read Ephesians, you will see that. Jesus asked this man that returned to, returned to him some rhetorical questions, some of these last verses stating in verse 17, then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner, the Samaritan. Jesus clearly was saddened by the decision of the other nine who did not come back. And we know these people. I mean, we know these people and it saddens us that they reject the gospel message. People who receive the gift, receive the blessing, and are definitely thankful. I mean, they're thankful. You can tell that they're thankful uh, for the gift. Um, but they're missing the point. They're missing Christ is the bigger picture. 
the one that did return, Jesus says, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Jesus was explicitly here talking about saving faith. Explicitly. This one out of the ten, the Samaritan, the foreigner, this man not only received healing of the body, but received new life, new life in Christ. That's my prayer for anyone in here today that does not know Christ, that has been tormented, potentially even, for months now. Trust in Christ. Put your faith in Christ because he is able and he is willing to lift the burden. He is compassionate and he wants to be the shepherd. So there are several points uh, in closing uh, that I could present to you for application, but I'm really only going to go over one because it's the one that I see most explicitly in this. And that is I want to encourage you to give God thanks and to give God praise. Sometimes we get so caught up in life, like the good and the bad, um, that we don't give proper thanks to God. I want to encourage you as your week goes on, like, I'm saying, like, actually do this. Not, like, this isn't empty application points. This isn't just, you should go home and try this. I'm telling you to do this. Go home. My, my alarm clock, when it goes off in the morning, it says, give thanks to God. I still don't even always do it either. I'll get my alarm clock. It'll be going off. I'll be looking. Give thanks to God. Click. I'm going to get dressed for work. What in the world? That's how broken we are. That's a different sermon. Um, give simple prayer of thanksgiving. When you wake up on your break at work, you know when you take breaks at work, thank God before you start eating even or after or during or the whole process, whatever. When you get home with your family or if you're, or if you're by yourself at dinner, give thanks to God. Uh, you should do this. I mean, the goal is honestly to do this not ceasing. Uh, but I'm giving you some small things. Baby steps, sanctification. Uh, God commands this of us. It's a command to give him thanks, to give him praise. And, and here's the thing. So a lot of times, I'll tell you now, Ditton and Matt know this best about me and Adam. Uh, my feelings are often broken. Like, I do not feel the way I should. Uh, a lot. A lot. I do not feel thankful. But my feelings, like I just said, are broken because I'm still trapped in this body of flesh. So even if you don't feel thankful, I'm relating with you here. You're not alone in that. Uh, give thanks. Pray for God to change your heart. Pray that God would give you new feelings, a new heart. I'll be praying that for you. So bow your heads and pray with me. Thank you. Uh, Father, we thank you for this time that we uh, got to come together, that we got to look at the miraculous healing that Jesus has with these ten lepers. Uh, Father, we thank you for salvation. We see this with one of the lepers that come back to Christ uh, and that fall at the right place, which is at his feet, giving him praise. We thank you for your power to be able to restore our souls, to be able to make us right uh, with God because of your sacrifice. 
Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you for your sacrifice for us on our behalf. We thank you for what you give us. You give us your righteousness. We thank you for mediating for us to make our worship acceptable to God. Father, send your spirit to us. I pray that you would convict us of sin. I pray that you would convict us of not being thankful people. But then that you would not stop there, that you would continue to work in us, to continue to sanctify us, to uh, let us thank you. Even thank you without ceasing, pray to you without ceasing. Father, our, our, our reliance is on the Spirit completely. Our trust is in the Spirit to work in us. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to have someone else come up, do communion. Thank you.